good to be here tonight and glad that I have privilege of bringing a portion of God's Word for your consideration. I, I really appreciate Kent's prayer on my behalf. Uh, this has been an exciting weekend for me that's not been exactly conducive to me getting prepared for uh, doing this, but um, it, it, was, it was a wonderful weekend, and I am um, love, love the studies we've been having in Romans. As has been said, we'll be looking in the 15th chapter of Romans, so we're getting close to finishing up. Um, Titus will have, Lord willing, Romans 16 next week to completely finish us up. So to start off, what I want to do is I want to go back and look at um, something from Romans chapter 14. This is something that obviously Jackson talked about, and I think that this verse is just so important, and it's just something that if we can get and understand, it would help so much in, in us working as a congregation. So in Romans 14 verse 20, Paul said this, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. So what he's saying is don't get in fights about food. And because you get in fights about food, you forget about what your ultimate goal and what your ultimate purpose is in serving God. Do not let food get in the way of what God needs to be done here on this earth. So if you want to eat meat, if you don't eat meat, don't get into fights about that. Keep your mind focused on what's right and stay united. I like the way Jackson said this last week. Basically, he said this, don't die on the wrong hill or the wrong hills. Don't say, okay, this is like, this is a pet peeve of mine. I'm going to get on this one and I'm going to die on this hill. I don't care who's mad at me. I don't care what. This is my soapbox and I'm going to stand on this soapbox and either they listen to me or they don't. I'm going to get on this. We should not do that. And so, what Paul is doing here at the, at the end of Romans is, obviously, I think he's wrapping up here, and he's just taking everything that he's did, and he's, he's leading up to, to and just summarizing the points that he's made. We've seen through Romans that the Gentiles, that they failed. We see that the Jews, that they failed. We're going to talk more about this as we go through here. We see how we all failed. It doesn't matter what nationality we are. It doesn't matter... If we, have, if we were born into a lot of money, if we weren't born into a lot of money, it doesn't matter. Um, if we have a lot of education, no education, it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no thing that, that sets us in one side or the other. We, we all have failed. And that's what Romans teaches us. But it also teaches us that God is righteous and that God is perfect. And that we, if we will approach God in true faith, he is approachable. And that he wants us to come to him. And the way, obviously, that we get to him is through Jesus Christ. And everybody has the ability to approach Jesus Christ um, regardless of, of who they are. So, um, Romans 15, I guess, could be split up in a lot of different ways. This is the way I'm going to kind of look at it. Verses 1 through 6 is going to talk about bearing with one another. It's going to talk about the strong and the weak. So, really... Uh, Romans chapter 14 should have been a, a few verses longer and Romans 15 should have been a few verses shorter because I think all that really ties in with Romans 14. Then in verses 7 through 13, um, he's going to be talking about the Jews and the Gentiles worshiping together. Um, verses 14 through 21, Paul is going to talk about him preaching to the Gentiles um, from Illyricum to, to uh, Jerusalem. And then in the last uh, fourth of it or whatever, verses 22 through 33, um, he's going to be talking about going to Jerusalem and then potentially coming and seeing them in Rome. 
So the way I'm going to do this tonight is I'm going to, I mean, there's 33 verses. There's no way to get in, you know, to deep into, into all 33 verses. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, half of the chapter. I'm going to, and then just kind of dissect that half. And then I'll read uh, the second half and then dissect that part. So let's start here. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Romans chapter 15. So Paul says this, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and, do, and not to please ourselves. Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before time, I'm sorry, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may be, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles and him, the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so verses 1 and 2, we see here the, the emphasis is going to be on him talking about the strong bearing with the scruples, and we'll talk about that in a second, of the weak. So we're talking about the strong versus the weak here. The one thing we have to realize in this when we talk about bearing with the scruples of the weak, whenever you think about strong and weak, first of all, Whenever he's talking about the weak, Paul does not mean that at all in any way in a derogatory way. It's not like he's trying to cut anybody down at all. That is not his purpose. The purpose is in talking about the strong versus the weak is for us to realize that we're all, we're all on, a, on a spectrum. Whenever we come to know Christ, when we're first there, it's just, it's just the fact of the way, the way the world works, the way humans work, the way God designed us, is we know a little bit, and he expects us to work with what we know, but we only, we only know a little bit. And as you learn more and more, you just become stronger. It's just, just like the analogy is used throughout the Bible a lot. You have babies who drink milk, and then as you get older and older, you eat stronger and stronger food till you can eat, you know, steak to where you can take that in. And again, that's not, that's not saying something bad about anybody. It's just recognizing and understanding that we're all, when we're following Christ, we're all getting and understanding more and more and more. Headed towards um, being like Christ, although we know we'll never be there. But that's, that's, what, that's just the, the nature of the way this works. So the main thing to remember in all of this is that there is a delicate balance. There's a delicate balance. And that balance needs to be achieved by our, our love of God's word and unity. If we're focused on, on um, my rights, if we're focused on my rights, well, 
you know, the Bible says this, and, you know, if, if I can have that, it's mine. I don't care what anybody else says about that. If we're just focused on what is best for me, then there's going to be problems. And that doesn't matter if we're strong or weak, if whatever category we're in, there's going to be problems. And if that's our mindset, if that's the way we approach everything, there's going to be problems. But if we approach it from another perspective and say, I love God, I love his word, and his word teaches us that he wants there to be unity, and not only do I know God, that God wants that, but I want it as well. Whenever we approach it in that way, we will, we will be able to deal with different things that show up and, and have a better perspective and to be able to deal with those things um, in a better way. So that's the main thing to remember this when we think about strong versus weak is not, okay, who, who's the strong, who's the weak? That's not the way to think about it. It's to think about it in the sense of, I, I love God, I love his word, and I love unity, and that's what I want to happen. So with that being said, though, I think the Bible does give us some idea and some things to consider with this. I mean, obviously, he wouldn't say weak and strong if there wasn't something there to that. So who is the weak and who is the strong? And the difference between those two is those who have learned about and understand their liberties in, in God and in Christ. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, he says this. Paul said this back over here in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. So right here I think we see, and this shows up in Romans also, but I think here this to me is, is a very clear way to see how Paul, because of course Paul wrote 1 Corinthians as well, how he's defining those who are strong and those who are weak. He's saying that, um, those who understand their liberties are the ones who are strong. And the ones who, who are struggling with those liberties, struggling to understand those liberties, are the ones who are weak. That's what he said. Those of you who, are, who understand your liberty, he said, don't lay a stumbling block in front of those who are weak. So that's kind of, to me, a clear way to see the definition of, of weak versus strong. Now, there's a, a lot to be said about that. Liberty, first of all, does not mean that we can go against a clearly stated commandment of God. Van has an, an awesome chart. Um, I wish I'd got that up here where, you know, it's got the house and it's got one side that are liberties and, and things that are judgments that we make. And then uh, the other side of it is, is commandments of God. We have no right. If God clearly says something, we have no right and there's, there's no liberty there. There's no judgment for me. If the Bible says that this is wrong, it's absolutely wrong. And it doesn't matter if every other human being on the face of the earth said it was right. It doesn't make it right. God said it's wrong, it's wrong. So liberties doesn't mean that I can go against the clearly stated commandment of God. Liberty means that we have freedom in judgment areas. Now, the reason I like 1 Corinthians 8 on this is because uh, Paul gives an example here of a liberty that people were taking. And what they were doing is they were eating um, meats that were sacrificed to idols. Um, in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 4 it says, Therefore concerning the eating of the things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. And so he gets into this discussion here about there were some people who were eating these meats that were sacrificed to idols. And he was saying they were taking that as a liberty. And there was other people who were saying, 
No, no way. There's no way you should be eating meat that is sacrificed to idols. And so we see here this liberty that, that Paul talks about. The thing that I, I like about him using this liberty is this is not like some liberty that um, really is meaningless to somebody. You know, we could get into a discussion about a lot of different things in this world that have nothing to do with the Word of God. We can get into the Ford versus Chevrolet. We could get into the Stratocaster versus Telecaster. We get into all kinds of different debates that mean nothing. God's Word is going to say absolutely nothing about those things. But there are things that we can get into some discussions about that his word may suggest. And so this is one of those things to me. This is not something that's totally removed from the word of God. This was people taking meats that were sacrificed to idols. I mean, I think somebody could make a pretty good, you know, they could come up with some verses that they could say, look, don't you think the principle in these verses say that you shouldn't eat meat that's sacrificed to idols? So whenever Paul gave us an example of a liberty, he didn't just give us something that was totally separate from the Word of God. It's something that would be something that some people might get upset about. So the, the ones that he talks about here being strong are the ones who understand that. And um, so, okay, so this is the... To me, this is kind of the difference between those who are strong and weak. And I'm just going to read this, I guess, so I can get my words right here. Are there some of us who have never thought, or Paul, this is Paul thinking about this, okay? He's saying, basically, there's some of us who have never thought a physical stone as anything other than a human carving of a stone. So I'm talking about like these idols, okay? You have this idol that's, that's carved out of stone. And he's saying there's some of us who never thought that that stone that was carved to this God or whatever, we never thought of it anything but as a, a silly stone that was cut out to some, to some false whatever, imagination of somebody. So to that person, that idol means nothing and has never meant anything. So he's saying it has always been something that we just made fun of, basically. And so what he's saying back in verse 4 here is he said, we know that that idol is nothing in the world. He said, growing up, he said, I never regarded idols. He said, uh, growing up, that was never a problem for me. I never, I never thought of, of that as being anything. He said, so we know that th this idol's nothing in the world. And he said, we know that there's, there's, no one, there's no one God but one. And so he's saying, I've, I've never struggled with worshiping idols. Okay, so what he's saying is those who are in this case and Whenever they eat this meat sacrificed to this idol, it means nothing to them. This, this meat that was sacrificed to them, they're like, well, I mean, these people said they were sacrificing this to this stone, but that doesn't mean anything. So to them, it was a liberty. They could eat that meat. It didn't mean anything. It didn't violate their conscience or anything. Okay? So on the other hand, you have a person maybe who did grow up in this situation, who did grow up in, in the, the secular culture, I guess you could say in that sense, and they, maybe as they were growing up, they did regard that idol as something. And so to them, and maybe now at this point they were true worshipers of God, but maybe in the back of their mind from the past, they still know and they still think about the things that they thought of whenever they were sacrificing to those idols. It's going to be a lot harder for that person to separate those things out. And so this person may be the weak person who says, 
I grew up regarding this idol. Now, I've walked away from that idol. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not going to eat this meat that's sacrificed to it because it brings up memories maybe that I've had in the past. And so this is the person who says, okay, whatever. I don't know if that's, a, I, don't, I don't know if the, really that's a liberty or whatever, but I, I'm just not going there. And th- so we can see here in this situation, these two people, the one who never regarded the idol, they ate that meat and said, it doesn't mean nothing to me. It's just meat. It's just something that God gave to us. And the other person says, oh, I don't know. Th- that's hard for me because I, that's the way I grew up. And so it's harder for me to separate that out. You know, I don't want to be uh, too much with this, but you know, if you, you think about people who've gone through war and they have PTSD, I've heard of this. A lot of times, you know, a person in that situation, a lot of times when they hear fireworks, it, it triggers things in them. And that person may know full well it's a firework. They may know exactly it's a firework. But just hearing that sometimes triggers stuff in them. And to me, this is just the same idea of this. It's like they, they may know in their mind what it is, but it just brings back like these memories that are just stuck in there. And so um, this is, again, just, just trying to set this up as the difference between those who are weak and those who are strong. And again, it's not, it's not saying anything derogatory about the weak. It's just saying that that's where they are. So again, the thing that needs to be realized in this is that there's a delicate balance that has to happen between the strong and the weak. Okay, so I want to consider the extremes real quick. So let's say, and, and I didn't know how to say this, so I'm just going to say the pseudo-strong, the ones who think they're strong but not really strong, okay? So if you have the pseudo-strong, this is the person who understands their liberties, but they selfishly hang on to it at the costs and not considering the position of another person. So this is like the person, okay, we'll take 1 Corinthians 8. This person who's eating this meat sacrificed to these idols. And he, he has that meat and he says, that idol's nothing. I know that idol's nothing. It's, it's just a silly carving. There's only one true God. And so this meat, we can eat this meat, no problem. And his brother's over there saying, I don't know about this. And the, the guy who's about to eat the meat says, I don't care what you have to say about this. I'm going to do what I want to do because I know this is right. I know this ain't nothing. You can go do whatever you want to. I know my rights and I'm going to, I'm going to eat this meat. That, that's on that side. On the other side, you can have the weak um, who use their past and things that they're hung up on to hold people hostage and to not allow them to live in their liberty that they have. And again, these are the two extremes, and we have to be careful that we don't get into either one of those extremes. But it's very clear, though, okay? It's very clear in this that the the bigger burden is put on those who are strong in the situation. And I think part of that is because possibly the strong may be able to see it from both points of view. You know, the strong person may be the person, maybe, who a long time ago did worship idols, turned away from idols, has been serving the true God, and maybe has lived there for long enough to where they have finally worked through all the stuff in their mind, and they finally say, I know now, and I I have no tie back into any feelings of anything about this idol anymore. I know that's nothing. And now maybe they do allow themselves the liberty to eat that meat. And so 
that person now can see it from both points of view. And I think that's why maybe the bigger burden is put on them is because they, they've been in the weak spot all first and then they've moved into the stronger position and so they can see it from both perspectives. And so maybe that's why the bigger burden here is put on those who are strong. And I mean, I guess for the other obvious reasons as well, um, but, but I, I think that's probably part of it. Sometimes, I shouldn't put that as an uh, exclusive statement, but um, sometimes the weak may be, able, may be able to only see it from their point of view. And so it takes the stronger to, to, uh, to deal with that. Okay, I'm going to... Okay, so the word scruples here, and I promise you, um, I'm, I, I'm not going to take this long for the rest of it, I promise you. So the word scruples here, that's the way the, the New King James translates this word here in, in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. So I just gave several different translations. Okay, the, the uh, NIV says failings. The English Standard says failings. The Berea, whatever, shortcomings, weakness, infirmities, scruples, weaknesses. Um, as, as I kind of studied that, I kind of think weaknesses is probably the, is probably the, the better word there. Um, and scruples, I mean... I had to look up the word scruples because I, I didn't know if that was some kind of cereal or what. I didn't know. So um, I would never use the word scruples. So it weakness. And I, I heard somebody talking about this and it really made sense. They said they didn't like the word failings because it makes it seem like it's something bad that that person's doing. It's not, it's not something bad necessarily they're doing. They said that weakness is probably the way to do that. And what it, what it is, is it's a redundant statement here. Really what he's saying is that you should bear with the weaknesses of the weak. That's really the best way to think about that. The weaknesses of the weak, that we should deal with that. Okay, so the word scruples here from the New King James uh, is uh, from Strong 771. And it means a, an error of error or something arising from the weakness of mind. So, what does it mean that we as the strong need to um, that we need to bear with the scruples or the weaknesses of the weak. And one way I think to do that is that we have to realize that we need to be the adult in that situation. And if, if you think about that as, as being adults, I mean, if you've, if you've been a parent, you, you could probably reason through this really clearly with me and probably could give me a lot more um, ideas on this. But whenever you're the adult, First of all, you have to think on the level above where, where the others are thinking. And again, that doesn't say that you're better than the other person. That does not mean that at all. It does not mean that. Because, because whenever that person that, that you think is the weak, or, or in this case, if you're thinking of it like a child, if, you think you're, if, if we think of it as being better, that may totally be the wrong because they're just at that level of development. Whenever that person gets to your age, or to your level of, of understanding, that person may know way more than you know. They may be way better off than you are. So I can't ever say I'm better than somebody because whenever they get to my age, they may, just, they may far surpass me, and I hope they do. So we shouldn't think of ourselves as being above in this situation. And also, um, another thing as, as being an adult is and doing this in a tactful way is just not letting things slide. That do, it doesn't mean just letting things happen that shouldn't happen. And of course, um, that's, not, that's not in the area of, uh, of liberties, that's of commandments, but we have, to, we have to think through these things. So 
to be the adult, okay, don't yell at somebody to tell them to stop yelling, okay? And I, I have definitely been there. You know, the kids are doing whatever, and I yell and tell them to stop yelling, and it's like, okay, whoa, I, I need a little check there. I need to think about this, okay? Don't punch someone to tell them to stop fighting. Don't lie to someone to teach them about the evil of lying. Don't seek to isolate someone or yourself whenever you're teaching about unity. Don't, don't do that. You have to think on the level above. That's the way we have to think about this. You know, most of y'all are aware that I'm a school teacher and being in a classroom with kids and um, like I, I, I deal with professional hecklers all day long. And sometimes whenever you have a 16 or 17-year-old, they're very, very adept at being able to just know exactly what pushes your button. They're very, very good at this. And I mean, it, I'm not saying it's all like that. It happens sometimes. But you, you and I know this from like very, very clear experience. The times whenever it just gets to be too much sometimes and raise my voice above a level that it should be, it, that just, things descend quickly. It's whenever you're thinking reasonably. It's whenever you're thinking above their level is whenever you can, whenever you can deal with things. And as the strong, as he says, as the strong dealing with the scruples of the weak, that's what we have to do. If we go in at the same level, and again, not in a derogatory way, but if, if we do that, things are going to descend. We have to, we have to be above that. So that's, that's what we need to think about is, is, is being that way in, in these situations. So how do we keep... In this situation, whenever it says, as a strong deal with the scruples of the weak, how do we, and thinking of being the adult in the situation, how do we keep from feeling like, well, I'm, I always have to be the adult, and I always have to be the strong one here? How do we keep from getting that kind of a mindset, like, oh, I'm the better one here. How do I always do that? And Paul gives the exact answer on how to deal with that in verse 3. In verse 3, He's going to give the most compelling reason for us to bear with the weaknesses of others. Because he says in verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before, sorry, and I realize now in my notes I put a four time later in my notes because that was so much on my mind, but for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So how do we keep from saying, oh, well, I'm the strong one here. I always have to be the strong one. Why do I always have to be the strong one? This is how you keep from getting that mindset, is realize that you're not even close to what Christ has to deal with. Whenever you think about you and the person that you're having to deal with, it's like this, like we're just one step above, and Christ is, is so far above we can't even reach that high. That's how, you, that's how you deal with thinking, oh, I've always got to be the strong one. Realize what Christ has to deal with in yourself. Remember that. Remember that. And that's what can motivate you to say, okay, yeah, 
Jesus has dealt with all this. I have, no, I have no room to speak about nothing. I have no room to get all uppity about myself, about anything. He's the perfect example. The guilt and punishment that should have fallen on us and those who hated uh, God fell on Jesus. Jesus took their place. He takes and took our place. Our goal as a Christian is to realize that something may not be our fault, but we should seek for the best of the whole. You know, in Matthew 26, verse 53, uh, of course we all know this verse, but Jesus said to them, put, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he would provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus was about to be sacrificed and he knew that. And Jesus said, I could call 12 legions of angels right now and remove myself from, the, from the, the suffering that I'm about to go through. And he would have been perfectly justified in doing that. But I don't think this was the only time that Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels. I, th I think he could have called them whenever he wanted to. And if you just go back and think about all of the things that Jesus had to deal with, the creator, the creator of this entire universe, the perfect being, the one who knows everything, took on flesh, took on feet and hands and a body and ears and eyes and literally walked on the ground with his creation and had to deal with these people. And the, the people who were close to him, he had stuff to deal with that he would not prefer. To, I mean, I don't, I don't want to attribute anything bad to Christ. But just think about all of the things that Jesus had to, to witness and see in his creation while he was here. Think about all the things that he dealt with. All of the crazy ideas that people said. Him just, I mean, if it, I mean, again, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything wrong, but I, I just think of, as Jesus is th thinking about some of the things people said, it's just like, where, where in the world did, did that idea come from? How in the world could you come up with that? I mean, what, what would possess you to think this? And the point in this is Jesus, Jesus um, walked with, with those people and he, he allowed them to, to be in their weakness and he still walked with them and he still loved them. And the difference between Jesus' thinking and any other human being that was on the face of the earth, there was no comparison in their thinking. And the, the point again here is that's the example. So when you think about yourself thinking, why do I always have to be the strong one? Just think about what Jesus had to deal with whenever he was here talking to other people and the crazy ideas he had to talk to people about. That's what we should remember. So it says for... Uh, for even Christ did not please himself, as is written, and then that the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me is actually a quote from Psalm 69 in verse 9. Okay. So, um, Paul says here, those things that were written aforetime, or as it says in the King New King James here that were written before, he's saying th that was from the Psalms that he was talking about. Those, those words were written approximately a thousand years before um, before him quoting that in Romans. And he said that those things were still relevant and helpful then. 
The writings of the Bible, whether they're 4,000 or 2,000 years old, are still relevant today. Because technology and travel may have changed, but the human heart and relationships between humans has not changed. And more importantly, God and Jesus have not changed in all of this. In verses 5 and 6 there it said, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, What's going to happen here in, the, in this second part is Paul is going to be quoting from a bunch of Old Testament scriptures. And he's going to show that God always planned on including the Gentiles, which these, these verses are, are very good that's, that we're about to be, well, they all are. This is definitely the one good thing I like about New King James is the way it shows quotation of scriptures. And I just wanted to show the formatting here. I love how it does this um, because then that way you know it doesn't always do this, but a lot of times when it quotes from Old Testament passages or whatever, it does the, the indenting thing and where you can see clearly what's being quoted here. Okay, so verse 7, he says, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So God through Jesus took you in. Okay, that's what Paul is, is telling these people. And he's talking to both of them. And he's about to be talking here about Jews and Gentiles. And he said, God took you in in all of your filthiness and sinfulness. And he said, you should take each other in the same way God took you in. And he said, you are not, or he's basically showing you're not above your master. You're not above Christ. He took you in. I mean, <laughs> he took you in. This guy's just as good to get in as you are. So that's, that's the way we should look at it. That's what he's saying here. In verse 8, he says, Now say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to, to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Okay, so the first part of this chapter, and, and obviously going back into chapter 14, he'd been talking about the strong versus the weak. Now he's jumping over and he's talking about the Jew versus the Gentile. And I think one reason why he's doing that is this, is he's showing that, okay, you've got the strong and the weak here, and you've got the Jew and the Gentile here. And what he's doing is he's showing that those are two different separate, or two separate categories. It's not like, okay, the Jews are the strong ones and the Gentiles are the weak ones. Or vice versa, if it was looking at it from the Gentiles' perspective. He's not saying the Gentiles are the strong ones and the Jews are the weak ones. He's showing that these, these are two completely different things. And it doesn't matter... A Jew or a Gentile could be in the strong category, and a Jew or Gentile could be in the weak category. I think that's one reason why he's separating this out. But what God is wanting to show here is that God and Jesus are for both groups, therefore Jews and Gentiles. So here's the argument between the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay, and I just found this, and uh, so you got the Jew and the Gentile arguing here. The Jew says to the Gentile, okay, God chose our people a long time ago. Your people weren't included in this plan. Genesis 12, 15, 17 proves it. That's where God promises to Abraham that his people would be blessed. And so the Jew can say to the Gentile, you can look at this in a whole bunch of other passages that prove that God was going to deal with us directly from the, the, the direct descendants of Abraham. So the Jew can say that to the Gentile. All right, well, on the other hand, the Gentile can say, well, okay, but he said, you Jews consistently rejected God. Even Jesus said that you rejected them over and over. And you could quote Jeremiah 32, verse 30. He could quote Matthew 23 and verse 37. So the Gentile could say, 
well, fine, but y'all messed that up over and 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 over again. If you read through the Old Testament, you could say over probably a hundred different times. Y'all mess it up so many times. And so the Jew and the Gentile have these two things that they can say to each other, and actually both of those two things are true. There's no doubt about that. But what he's saying is those two things are not what, what matters anymore. What he's saying is, well, it is. All of you, all of you have messed up. And so all of you need Christ. All of you need salvation. Your family's not going to get you to heaven. How much money you have is not going to get to heaven. It doesn't matter where you're born. That's not going to get you to heaven. None of that kind of stuff is going to get you to heaven. What's going to get you to heaven is you putting your faith in Jesus Christ and living your life faithfully for him. So the, the Jews did a terrible thing in rejecting Jesus, but God still wants them now. That's what he says here in, uh, in verse 8 here. He says he wanted to confirm the promise that was made to the fathers. So Jesus wanted to show that God was for the Jews, that he still loved them. Um, Matthew 15, 24 says that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he shows that he also was going to include the Gentiles. The Gentiles weren't God's chosen people not long ago, but God wants them now. So the promise extends to the Gentiles, and Paul is going to quote, quote Old Testament scriptures here to prove this even further. Okay, I'm going to jump through here. All right. Um, let me just go ahead and... Do, 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 do. All right, so in ver, uh, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 15, verse 9, the second part of that, he says, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing uh, to your name. So what Paul is doing here is he's quoting from the 18th Psalm and he's showing that the Gentiles were included, have, have always been thought about from God's perspective. This is not an afterthought, that this was from, from a long time ago. Okay, in verses tw uh, 10 through 12, Again here he says, again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again it says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him, the Gentiles shall hope. So I'm just gonna do this quickly. Verse 10 is a quote from Deuteronomy 32, 43. Verse 11 is a quote from Psalms 117, and uh, verse 12 is a quote from Isaiah 11, as he said from Isaiah. So Here's what Paul is doing. Paul is going back in the Old Testament and he's quoting these Old Testament guys and showing that the Gentiles, that God was always thinking about them. And look, he doesn't just quote from one source. He quotes from David. He quotes from Moses. He quotes from a different psalmist, whoever that is. And he quotes from Isaiah. So there's four different people in the Old Testament who spoke about the Gentiles being included into the plan of God and being included fully integrated into the family of God. And so he's going back, and it's just, just like what you do when you're trying to write a paper. You don't just want to have one source. You want to get his, pull from as many sources as possible to be able to prove a point. That's exactly what he did here. He quoted from all these different guys, just stacking up the evidence that God did plan on including the Gentiles. Okay, I'm going to read through the, the last half here real quick. Now I say, 
Uh, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to you by my God, that I may be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient." In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased them from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem." It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in their material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Okay, so beginning in verse 15 here, I believe these verses he's talking more specifically to the Gentiles. Maybe not totally, but I think that's where, where his, his aim is here. And in verse 15, he says, Nevertheless, Brett, and I have written to you more boldly on some points is reminding you because the grace given to me that I might be a minister, a ministering. And uh, he, he talks here, sorry, I'm, uh, oh, I'm sorry, verse 14, he says, Myself am confident concerning you that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. I think he's talking to the Gentiles here. And he's saying, even as a Gentile, person who wasn't a Jew, who didn't have this upbringing maybe, he said, you are capable of knowing what's good and not only knowing what's good, but you're able to admonish. You're able to teach. And so again, here it's this whole debate between the strong and the weak. And he's saying, a Gentile, you can get up and you have the ability to admonish one another also, even though you may not have this big long history like these Jews did. And so this is like Paul talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, where he told him not to despise his youth. And so that's, that's our encouragement today is don't despise your youth. Don't despise where you may be at now. Just know, get your nose in the word, study, practice it. And in no time you can be where you can be teaching and admonishing, doing studies. It doesn't matter if you've we're raising the church, or if you, if you just now have come to the church, anybody can study it, take it in, and to be able to go out and admonish and to teach other people. Okay, in verse 18, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished unto me through, uh, through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. So Paul's showing here that his mission was to the Gentiles. 
And again here, his point is to show that the Gentiles are not an afterthought. Okay, in verse 20, it says here, And so I have uh, made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So what I think is going on here is the Jews' attitude, and, and the more I've thought about this, I should have taken the Jews, the Jews out of there, because really this is an attitude that probably most of us have. The attitude most of us have is to be happy with where we're at. And what Paul said is he said, I didn't, he said I'm not just going where, where Christ has already been named. He said, I am going to go where he hasn't been named. And I think what he's doing, he's motivating them. He's telling them, don't just be happy where you're at. You send people out. You go out. And you go find places where Christ has not been taught. And you go and teach also. Find places where Christ needs to be heard. Well, he needs to be heard everywhere. But go find those places. Go. As Jesus told us in Matthew 28, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Van talked about this uh, yesterday at the area wide, about that word Go. That's such a, a huge concept to go. Just go and do the work that God has given to us. Okay, so uh, go through this real quick. Paul, um, I think most people believe that Paul actually wrote Romans from, from uh, Corinth. And so he was in, you know, in Greece or in southern Greece, I guess, um, whenever, or in a cave whenever he was doing that. All right, let me go ahead and flip over to this. So, this Corinth, this is where Paul was writing to. He was writing to those people in Rome. And what he said is he said he wants to go to see them in Rome. And he said eventually he's going to go to Spain. But he said before he goes from Corinth to Rome, he said, I need to go to Jerusalem. And I'm just going to go ahead and just get the rest of this done. So what he's saying, what he says in the last part of this is he says there were people in Macedonia and Achaia. Um, there were these Gentiles and they wanted to help the Jews that were in Jerusalem because they were very poor. They had it very hard here. And so what he said is he collected money from Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia right here. And that was his purpose. He had this money and he wanted to take it over to these, to these uh, Jews in Jerusalem. And let me go ahead and flip over here. Yeah, this verse right here. I, I really do like this verse. Verse 27 says, It pleased them, talking about the Jews, I mean the Gentiles, it pleased the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia that they are their debtors. He says, for if the Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So what is he's saying is, these Jews over here had at least had the word of God. They may not have fully obeyed it, but they had it. And so they understood the spiritual blessings they had, especially um, after Christ came and, and revealed the, the full plan of God. And so what he's saying is that these Gentiles up here who didn't know it before, and they came and the word was brought to them, and they realized now that they, these people had the same spiritual blessings as these people. He's saying these people realize that since they got that blessing, that they needed to share in material things with them. If they were going to have the same spiritual blessings, they also needed to share in their material things. And um, I think that's a, a very good thought. We've all been blessed in God. We've all been blessed in Christ. And whenever we, whenever we have that blessing together, we should, we should look out for one another. And I was definitely a recipient of that this weekend. 
in uh, verse 30, it says, and 31, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of, of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service from Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So he's talking about going to Jerusalem um, to take this money to them. And he says, my, I want you to pray with me that whenever I get there, those unbelievers will be, will be receptive. And I, I believe that what's happening here is the journey Paul takes starting in Acts 18. And it talks about him doing some stuff. And as he goes, goes over towards Jerusalem and finally gets there in like Acts chapter 21. And we know as soon as he gets there, he, he runs into those unbelievers and they were not kind to him. They threw him in jail. And of course, that's how Paul got, got to Rome is because he appealed to Caesar in Acts 21 and 22. And so eventually he got shipped up to Rome. And so he did exactly what he said here. He wanted to see them in Rome and he got to do that by going to Jerusalem, being put in jail and the Romans shipping, up, shipping him up to Rome so that he could, um, so he could see Caesar there. That's what I have. Um, like I said, there's so much, and I apologize for going over. Um, Titus, Lord willing, as I said, will be able to wrap us up and uh, get us in Romans 16 next week. If you're here tonight and you've been taught the gospel and you are ready to obey it, you know Jesus died for you, and you know that you need to put your faith in him, you're ready to repent and to turn from your old lifestyle, and you're ready to confess Jesus and then to be baptized with him into death so that you can be raised to walk as a new creature. We want to help you do that tonight. Or if you're here and you're struggling and the prayers from the saints here would, would lift you up, we'd ask one of either class to come to the front and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing.